I want to make one thing perfectly clear. This show is not about lumberjacks. My name is Christopher Grunland, and this is where I share my stories. Sometimes the stories contain truths, but most of the time they're made up. Sometimes the stories are funny, other times they're serious. But you have my word about one thing. I will never, ever share a story about lumberjacks. This time, it's a story about a phone booth that appears out of nowhere, helping someone connect to their past in a most needed way. Before that, though, a couple things. First, the usual content advisory. This story deals with sudden family loss and grief. But even there, it's only one recalled scene that might be rough for some. Surprisingly, there's no swearing in this story. While I try keeping even some of the darker stories I write here heartfelt, this one might even be wholesome. The second thing before we get to the episode is I'd like to tell you about a book series by my friend Jennifer Moss. If you're looking for a fun and exciting binge, this is it. A series of mysteries with a metaphysical twist. The first is Town Red, in which Detective Ryan Doherty has to save his career by solving a double homicide of husband and wife entrepreneurs. During the investigation, he meets the mysterious Catherine Lulling, a psychic empath who knows just a little too much about the murders. As Ryan is drawn into Catherine's unconventional world, he has to figure out if she's for real or the real killer. Check out Town Red by Jennifer Moss, rated five stars on Amazon.com. And I'll be sure to include a link in the show notes. All right, let's get to work. Calling out of time. There suddenly appeared a phone booth, a thing out of time seeming more like a joke than reality. The booth's presence startled Amir, leaving him to wonder how such a thing could be set up so quickly. It wasn't there on his two-block walk to the corner store for Netflix binge night snacks and a quick chat about movies with the store's cashier, Francisco. But there it was, not ten minutes later, on the corner a block down from his apartment. It was strange enough to see a payphone of any kind, but a fully sheltered booth was a thing Amir had not seen in almost two decades. He looked up and down the streets, wondering if anyone might have seen how it got there, but he was the only one out and about. To see no one else out walking in the early evening was almost as rare as encountering a phone booth that seemed to fall from the sky. Amir poked the phone booth with his cane, half expecting it to give like a cardboard prop, maybe even see the cane pass through a holographic projection. But it was solid. He knocked on the glass and wondered if it was an art installation. Maybe he'd see himself in a handful of months, the first person captured on a hidden camera and projected on a wall at the Museum of Contemporary Art. 
others would follow, the spectacle of the piece showing how what was once common can become easily forgotten. And in that artistic statement, perhaps Amir Nazari, on the cusp of his 50th birthday, would seem just as out of time as he inspected the booth with an air of nostalgia. He waited several minutes, hoping somebody would pass by and be as equally taken aback by the booth's presence. But the quiet streets made the moment slip from a curiosity to something more unsettling. He pushed the center of the door, watching it fold inward, creating enough of a gap that he could slide it fully open. Amir looked around one more time and stepped inside. He grabbed the interior handle, unsure if it was wise to close the door behind him. What if that was the booth's purpose? A trap of some sort? That made even less sense. He could easily break the glass with his cane and stumble free. It was not a trap. The last time Amir used a payphone was in the late 90s. Once he had a tiny brick of a cell phone, that was it. He had no need for any other means of communication. Everything was now in his pocket or hand. Standing in the phone booth, though, he found himself missing slower days and being unreachable on the go. He picked up the receiver and was surprised to hear a dial tone. How could this thing have been hooked up so quickly, he thought. Amir instinctively tapped his pockets, knowing he had no change. Credit and debit cards eliminated that need, but he always knew, in the back of his mind, a day might come in which he'd regret not carrying assorted bills in his wallet and some coins in his pocket. So he did what he did when he was younger and without money. He dialed zero. Amid a churning of static rose a solitary beep he'd not heard in decades, followed by the sound of the call going through. The line picked up, but the voice on the other end was smothered by white noise. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Maybe there was no one on the other end. Maybe it was just a recording. The whole thing was ridiculous. Amir put the receiver back and picked up his bag of snacks. But, what would it hurt to attempt an actual call? Amir picked up the receiver again and dialed his old phone number. Buffalo Grove, Illinois, 1983 Amir was playing his Frogger electronic game when the telephone rang. He waited for his older sister to pick up. She loved the phone and always raced to answer it. But he heard Soroya shout from the upstairs bathroom, Amir, can you get that? If it's Katie, tell her I'll call her back. He was having a good round, but the sound of the telephone bothered him. A loud and interrupting thing that only stopped with its unrelenting ringing when someone gave up on the other end or you picked up. He answered the phone. 
Hello? There was no one on the other end. From the bathroom, his sister shouted, Is it Katie? Amir covered the mouthpiece and yelled back, It's no one! No one's on the phone! He returned the receiver to his ear and heard an adult voice say, Amir? The only people Amir liked talking with on the phone were his grandma and grandpa in the city, and this voice belonged to neither of them. He ran through family gatherings, trying to recall the voices of uncles, but most of his family was still back in Iran. The man on the phone said it again. Amir? He took a breath and said yes. Amir Nazari? Uh-huh. Amir thought something went wrong with the connection, but the man on the other end eventually said, Hello, Amir. My name is also Amir. Are you a friend of my father? I... I knew your father, yes. He's not home right now, and my mother is busy cooking dinner. Amir's parents taught him to make it sound like at least one parent was home, but busy, when he and his sister were home alone and somebody he didn't know called on the telephone or came to the door. The man on the other end was silent again. Amir thought he heard him sniffle and take a deep breath. Um, the man said, Do you have something to write with, Amir? I need to leave a message. No. The pen and notepad the family kept for such purposes was by the kitchen phone, not the living rooms. Can you go get something to write with? Okay, I'll be right back. As he returned from the kitchen, Soroya came downstairs. Who was on the phone, she said. Some man. He wants to leave a message. Amir's sister took the pen and pad from his hand and went to the phone. Hello? Who is this? The man on the phone said, Soraya? Who wants to know? There was no response. Amir's big sister looked at him and said, Do you know who this is? He shook his head no. My mother and father are upstairs watching television and cannot be bothered. Call back tomorrow. Soraya hung up the phone. She looked at Amir and said, Stop talking to people you don't know. Amir put the phone booth's receiver down and wiped tears from his face. It was a futile battle, so he let go, not caring if someone happened by and saw him in a glass box on display, sobbing like a storm. When he was done, he looked at the phone. When he called his old number again, all he heard was static. Amir moved through the next day tangled in a haze of memories and emotions. He woke up late and could not stop thinking about the call from the phone booth the night before. It really was Soraya. And he recognized his own young voice from an old recording of himself reading a Legion of Superheroes comic book on cassette. 
there was no explaining what happened. The best Demir came up with was his subconscious taking over. Still, it would be one thing to quickly drop a phone booth on a corner, but a complete impossibility to set up a phone that could call out of time. He logged into work, hoping it would give his mind something else to focus on. No matter how hard Amir tried distracting himself, though, his thoughts were pulled to the past. He emailed his manager, telling her he wasn't feeling well and was going to take the day off. Amir got dressed and walked down the street. His neighborhood bustled with its usual morning activity, a stark contrast to the previous evening. His heart raced when he reached the corner where he encountered the phone booth. He felt his pulse pounding in his temples when he saw it wasn't there. He trotted around the block and then the others, looking down streets at every corner. Nothing. He returned to the spot where he found the phone booth, hoping to see scratches where it might have been dragged away, any bit of evidence that he wasn't losing it. His doubts about everything only grew. At the corner store, Amir bought a cup of coffee and a hostess cherry pie. He waited until the short line at the register cleared before paying. Morning, Francisco. Hey, my friend. Long time no see. Watch anything good last night? No, I ended up a bit distracted. Saw something interesting, though. What's that? I know this might sound strange, but did you pass a phone booth when you closed last night? At Leland and Troy? It wasn't there when I came by last night, but it was there when I was walking home. It's not there now, though. Francisco shook his head. I didn't see that, no. I've not seen a phone booth in ages. Same here, but it was there last night. Like a full-blown Superman booth? Door and everything? Yes. That's wild. And it's not there now? Nope. Wow, crazy. Sounds like something from a story you'd write. Yeah. When he wasn't coding software enhancements for release sprints at work, Amir was obsessed with stories. As a kid, comic books offered something few primetime TV shows did, ongoing arcs and timelines. Aside from watching the occasional soap opera with Soraya over summer break from school, Comic books and fantasy and sci-fi novels gave Amir what took decades to finally reach television. But once streaming services took off, Amir daydreamed about turning one of the old novels he'd written and put away in a drawer into a series. He worked on writing in the cracks of life, jotting down ideas during meetings at work he wasn't needed for, but that his manager insisted he attend anyway just in case. Sometimes he was up early, other days he stayed up late, writing and piecing things together. Weekends were his escape into the life he wished he lived, up early to write, breakfast, and then more writing, researching for stories and how to sell the scripts he planned to finish. 
Perhaps that was the way to discern how a seemingly magical phone booth came to be. Approach it like a story he was writing. Amir spent the day in a notebook, jotting down ideas of who or what placed the phone booth on the corner. He worked out myriad explanations for how the call to the past could happen. By the afternoon, he had no acceptable explanation. Only more questions. Sometimes life, like stories Amir believed, benefited from a willing suspension of disbelief. He stretched out on the couch, hoping his subconscious would figure it out, but all his thoughts blurred into dreams. It was dark when Amir woke up. His stomach growled, but it could wait. He put on his shoes and headed into the night. The phone booth stood at the corner of Leland and Troy, just like the previous night. And just like the previous night, Amir stepped inside and dialed his old number. Buffalo Grove, Illinois, 1983. Amir was brushing his teeth before bed when the telephone rang. He spit and rushed to the kitchen. Hello? On the other line, the man from the night before said, Hi, Amir. I called last night. Are you in the kitchen or living room? The kitchen. Good. Can you write something down for me? Okay. Tell your mother and father that... Soraya picked up the phone in her room. Hello? Katie? No, Amir said from a phone booth in another time. I called to speak to Amir, but either of you can help. Are you the guy who called last night, Soraya said? Yes, I am. You need to stop calling us or I'll call the police. She hung up and charged downstairs. Amir got as far as telling his younger self, Tell your mom and dad to check the... Before Soraya hung up that line, too. When Amir called again, he was greeted by static. The next morning, Amir emailed his manager, letting her know he was still not feeling well and taking it easy for another day. After that, he walked to the corner store for breakfast again, taking a moment to look around to see if he could find any evidence of what happened the two previous nights. He saw nothing out of the ordinary. When he entered the corner store, Francisco said, Good morning, my friend. See any phone booths lately? Amir laughed and said, No, but I've been thinking about it. Like you said yesterday, it would make a good story. He looked around to make sure they were alone. I'm thinking it would be cool if someone could call back to their past to try changing something. But I'm not quite sure how to explain the phone booth just appearing and why it would even work. I don't think you'd have to, Francisco said. That kind of thing can get in the way. Primer didn't explain anything, and it's a great movie. Back to the Future doesn't work when you think about it, but it's a lot of fun. It wasn't the answer Amir wanted. 
He hoped his movie-loving friend would have enough answers to make sense of the past two days. What do you think about the idea of calling back in time, Amir said. It's good. Francisco glanced up in thought. I know there are stories like that with radios, but I can't think of any with a phone. Do you think someone could stop a bad thing from happening like that? Sure, not much of a story otherwise. Cool. I'm leaning towards someone saving people he loved who died when he was younger. If the main character pulled it off, do you think he'd get to see them again? Maybe, if that's what the story needed. It might be hard to explain, though. Or maybe he creates an alternate timeline where they're safe. Amir nodded and paid for his coffee and fruit pie. Thanks. See you later, Francisco. Goodbye, my friend. As perplexing as the phone booth's existence was to Amir, he knew one thing for certain. It was there in the evening, but gone during the day. All he had to do was wait. At five o'clock, he brewed a small pot of coffee. He drank a cup and poured the rest into a water bottle. When it was cool enough to carry, he headed out. The phone booth was not on the corner when Amir arrived. He surveyed the area for the best place to wait and watch. He considered standing on the corner, but if it took more than an hour, Amir was certain somebody would call the police, saying there was a suspicious person lingering in the neighborhood. He found a spot in an alley behind a dumpster where he'd be out of sight, but still have a view of the corner. He guzzled the rest of his coffee and waited. Like watching a clock during a workday, watching the corner made time drag on. Amir wondered if a truck would pull up with a couple of guys who'd open the back and put the booth on the corner, or if it would fade into existence like the TARDIS from Doctor Who. Around 8 o'clock, Amir regretted drinking all his coffee. He shuffled side to side, fighting the urge to urinate. It was unlikely he'd be seen if he stepped fully behind the dumpster to empty his bladder, but he wasn't willing to risk it. Not for fear of getting a ticket for public urination, he simply refused to let the corner fall out of view. When the urge became too much, Amir closed his eyes and took a deep breath to center himself. When he exhaled and opened his eyes, the phone booth was on the corner. A moment before, the streets were busy with evening walkers. Now they were empty. It seemed darker as well, like everything in Amir's field of view had been caught in a spell. He didn't care how troubling it was. He walked right into the phone booth, closed the door behind him, and called his old number. Buffalo Grove, Illinois, 1983. The Dukes of Hazard had just started when the phone rang, startling Amir. His parents were out to eat and Soraya was spending the night at Katie's. He thought about letting it ring, but it was about the time his mother and father would be returning from dinner, and he wondered if it was them saying they'd be late. He got up, turned down the TV, 
and picked up the receiver. Hello? The man who called the last two nights said, Amir, before anyone picks up, I need you to tell your mom and dad to check the wires in the attic. If they don't, you must insist. Do you understand? There's a bad wire in the attic, and I don't want you to stop bugging them until they check. Do you understand? A bad wire? Yes, go tell them right away. As soon as Amir said, they went out to eat, he panicked, wondering if he'd given too much away and was now alone and in danger. Then go tell Soraya, and then write it down. Check the wires in the attic. Amir almost told the man on the phone Soraya wasn't home either, but said, okay, instead. Say it back to me, Amir. What are you going to tell your mother and father and Soraya? To check the wires in the attic? Good. I need you to go write it down, too, okay? You can't forget. Okay. It's going to be all right, Amir. Don't be scared. Can you go write it down right now? Okay. Amir set the receiver down and ran to the kitchen. He wrote, check the wires in the attic on the notepad by the phone and put the pad on the kitchen table. He ran back to the living room phone, but all he heard on the other end was static. In the phone booth, Amir wiped the tears from his eyes. He didn't care if he was seen. He stepped out of the booth, rested his cane against the side, and peed like he was putting out a fire. The following evening, when Amir walked to the corner store for snacks, the phone booth was not there. Something told him he could wait every night for the rest of his life and it would never appear again. When he entered the corner store, Francisco smiled and said, I missed you this morning, my friend. I was up later than usual. Working on a story? Yes, in a sense. How's it coming along? Good, I think. I still have some questions about it I'd like to figure out, but I think it's all there. What questions? What would you do if you could call your old self back in time? What would you tell him? Francisco pondered the question a moment and smiled. I would call my old number and tell my younger self to invest in Microsoft stock. Apple and Google, too. Not that I don't like all this and the people I get to chat with every day, but, you know. Yeah, that's a good plan. I agree, Francisco said. What about you? What would you do if you could call back in time? I'd leave a message to my younger self to have my parents check the wiring in the attic of our old house. Francisco cocked his head to the side and said, Why would you do that? When I was 12 years old, my house caught on fire. My bedroom was downstairs because... Amir tapped his cane on the tile. I heard something hit the floor upstairs in my sister's room so hard that it woke me up. I didn't know it at the time, but it was my sister Soraya passing out. I remember dreaming my mother was lost in a fog calling our names. When I finally woke up, I smelled smoke. I grabbed my cane and checked the bedroom door like they taught us in school. It was cool to the touch, so I opened it. 
The smell of smoke instantly became heavier and the nightlight in the kitchen glowed in a haze. I raced to the living room. Smoke rolled down the stairs in a dark column illuminated by orange sparks. I shouted for my parents and sister, but nobody answered. I went back to the kitchen and called the fire department. By then, the smoke was getting thicker in the rest of the house. I made it to the front room before passing out. When I woke up, I was in the front yard, surrounded by neighbors and firemen. My family was nowhere to be seen. That's when I came to the city to live with my grandparents. Francisco shook his head and sighed. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. There are no words. Thank you. No, thank you. I'm glad I know this about you. We see each other almost every day, but most of what we talk about is movies. If this were all a movie and I could warn my family, do you think I'd ever see them again? It would depend on the story, I suppose. If it were a fun story, you could do anything, like Back to the Future. But if it were more realistic, it would probably be more like Looper or Primer. It would be nice to see them again, but unless you actually traveled back in time physically through the phone and could watch them from a distance, saving them in another timeline would have to do. Amir smiled and said, Yeah, I suppose you're right. I'm sure I'll figure it out in due time. Right now, though, it's time for some snacks. Epilogue, Buffalo Grove, Illinois, 2021. Amir's grandniece, Bibi, pumped her legs and shot high into the air on her swing set. She shouted, Uncle Amir! Grandma! Look! She leaned back, gripping the swing's chains tightly in her hands, and hung almost upside down as she fell back to earth. She swung back up to a sitting position on the other end of the arc. Be careful, Soraya said. She looked at her brother and playfully slapped his arm. Why are you laughing at me? You always gave mom and dad such a hard time. Now you have a second mini version of yourself. I just think it's funny. Amir's father chuckled and winked at Soraya. They were all together at the old house to celebrate Amir's birthday. I'm going to check on the food, their father said. When he was gone, Soraya said, Well, you could laugh at me all you want, but at least turning 50 didn't bother me. It doesn't bother me either, Amir said. Then why are you so quiet today? Thinking about your next book? I'm always thinking about my next book. But that's not it either. I'm thinking about the phone call we got when we were younger, about the wires in the attic. Soraya took a gulp of iced tea and said, Ah, yes, it's that time of the year when you do this. I just wonder who he was, how he knew, why we shared a name. But it's not even so much that this year. Maybe you're right. Maybe I am thinking a bit more about time this birthday. I wonder what happened to him. He's probably a lot like you, Soraya said. Eats too much junk food and watches lots of movies. You got a good book out of all this wondering. Isn't that enough? Yeah, I guess it's a thing I'll just always think about. I know. 
Sometimes I do, too. Not about who he was, but what might have happened if something bad happened back then. Soraya watched her granddaughter swing back and forth, higher and higher, until letting go at the apex and soaring into the air. She kicked her feet and righted herself just in time for a landing in the grass that would have wrecked Amir or Soraya's knees. Behind them, Soraya's husband knocked on the kitchen window and waved them in. BB, Soraya said. It's time to eat. She shot past her great uncle and grandmother and held the door open. Happy birthday, Uncle Amir. Why, thank you. He scooped Bibi up in his right arm and carried her into the house where he and his sister grew up. Thank you for listening to Not About Lumberjacks. Theme music, as always, is by Ergo Fizmiz. Story music this time is by Gabriel Lewis, licensed through Epidemic Sound. Sound effects are always made in-house or from freesound.org. Visit nolumberjacks.com for information about the show, the voice talent, and the music. Next time around, it's a story that begins, The Quaking Bogman Was Gone and Crazy Mike Was Found Dead Behind the Maintenance Barn, Covered in Grass Pink and Rose Pagonia Blossoms. Who doesn't love a mystery set in a bog in northern Illinois? Until next time, be mighty and keep your axes sharp. <laughs>